Welcome to our Triune Pod, where we prepare you to praise. I'm the Reverend Nick Comiskey. And I'm the Reverend Ben DeHart. Join us for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and outlandish pop culture as we break down the collect of the day for the coming week. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time. And we are back for another episode of Our Triune Pod. It is cold. It's dark. It's December. How are you doing down there in Austin, Nick? Bright and sunny, my dude. Uh, yeah, things are good. This is a, a great time of the year. I don't know. It's not, it's not that it's a great time of the year because of COVID and the way schedules are changed, <laughs> but I am, I am riding a sports tidal wave right now. Are you? I mean, there's just, there's like, so we're recording this the day before the NBA draft. There's all these NBA uh, trades happening. My like ultimate way of decompressing is listening to like niche NBA podcast. Is it niche or niche? Niche. Whatever, however you say that word, Uh, NBA podcasts that get kind of in the weeds about free agency and salary caps and different analytics, stuff I don't really understand, but it's a way of kind of turning off my brain church wise and just thinking about sports um and uh yeah well we just lost all of our listeners thanks a lot nick really (laughs) (laughs) nba trades come on church people aren't into that let's let's talk about football people will talk about football what's what's uh, america's game um well i am rooting for a team that has the best quarterback of all time kansas city chiefs i lived in kansas city for seven years before living down here in austin and i became a Chiefs fan i had some i have some really close friends who are lifelong Chiefs fans and their enthusiasm and energy and unconditional one unearned love for the chiefs has uh, really inspired me so i watch every game it's, it's been super fun but you're you're an eagles fan how are you how are you doing on the on the wince train i mean it, it feels like december it is cold it is dark we are awful the whole division's awful, so we are somehow kind of vying for first place, even though we have way more losses than wins. I'm kind of hardly watching. You have a tie, though. What, where does that do? That, that's even worse than a loss. It's just, I agree. Uh, it's, it's terrible. And every couple of years, we, we get a tie. So instead of watching the Eagles, instead of watching this disaster, I have adopted Tom Brady's Buccaneers. Oh, <laughs> what? I want to be a part of a winning team this year. Dude, that is the <laughs> I can't emphasize enough how lame of a decision <laughs> that is. That's like a weird like Stockholm syndrome thing. Like to root for Brady? That's hey guys, disgusting. We we've got COVID. We've got racial injustice. We don't know what's going on with our president. Oh I need a gosh. winning team. Oh I need you gosh. to give me cut me some slack here. All right, man. Whatever. <laughs> all right. Well, in the spirit of all things Advent, we, we talked about Advent 1 last week. It's Advent 2 this week. It is the second week of the church year. And traditionally, for Advent, at least in the medieval era, and really up till recently, um, Advent is not a very bright time. It's kind of like the, the world outside. We, uh, we take a look at death, judgment, heaven and hell and in that order and today we focus in on judgment so uh today is going to be entitled the good news of the judgment of god so i hope you're excited but here is the prayer for the second sunday of advent 
Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, Nick, what do you make of this parable or this uh, collect? Um, Well, I think to your point about it being kind of a heavy word, um, or at least not something that you typically associate with December, maybe this year people will associate it with December, but um, I do want to say though at the outset, if if this prayer is about repentance, a kind of a putting to death, um, I think I do find it significant that the ascription or the title, the way that we name God in the prayer is merciful God. I think most, Mm -hmm. I've never done like a quantitative study, but my uh, informed hypothesis is that the the most often way of referring to God in the collects is with like the ascription almighty. Um, So when when a collect begins with a different adjective, a different way of naming God, namely in this case, merciful, that to me is a signal like, okay, you should pay attention to that. Uh, and I think it's a good control or like to foreground God's mercy at the outset of the prayer is really helpful because when we are instructed to ask God for grace to heed the warnings of the prophets to forsake our sins, that can almost make it seem like God is not on our side, that God is coming for us mm-hmm. and that we therefore need to like get clean, get ready, forsake our sins because if we do not, God is pissed and God always, and if God wants to punish you, be careful because God always gets what he wants. Uh, And so at the outset, it's like, okay, look, we're talking about repentance and um, forsaking our sins. um, But the, the image is God's mercy, God's help to those who are suffering, God's help to those who are hurting. And so the invitation to, to forsake, to repent is, um, yeah, is in response to a merciful, loving God who wants to free us from that, which, harms us uh, so that, i mean that's that's one outset like i mean one thought right at the outset it's like we are coming to a god of mercy and we're repenting to a god of mercy so it's not even so much about god's anger that we're trying to placate through our repentance it's more like coming into alignment with what the merciful loving god of jesus christ wants for us yeah i, I really like that because Last time I checked, judgment is not a very popular <laughs> thing in our world. Not just in the world, but in the church. And Bro, judgment uh, is a very popular thing. And that's the problem. <laughs> it's like, no, I mean, isn't that true? Like people, we have never felt more licensed to be judgmental in our entire mm. lives than we do yeah. right now. Like wear a mask. Who'd you vote for? Like, mm. it's never been more acceptable to judge people. Uh, but it's like the seculosity thing. It's just like, it's not religious judgment. It's like in all of yeah. Yeah, I guess what I mean is like the notion of a God who judges or notions of the wrath of God. But you're totally right. Yeah, we are in a very moralistic, judgmental age, probably more than ever in my lifetime. But I guess um, what what I like what you said there is, is so sure, the the Kala talks about repentance. The Kala talks about heeding the prophet's warning, forsaking our sins. Um, And we emphasize the mercy of God. But there is also this notion that we don't want to be in our sins. We long for the refiner's fire because that's what's good for us. Uh, Again, you were kind of hinting at like, this is not saying that God's love is conditional or that, you know, you better get your act together because I'm coming. 
um, I'm making a list, checking it twice, and you're probably on the naughty list. This is help me be well. It's like that uh, Sufjan Stevens song from back in the day, right? Where he's like, I want to be well, I want to be well, I want to be well over and over and over again. Here we are essentially praying, Lord, we can't repent on our own. Help us repent. Help us be well. But this prayer and the prayers that we've been saying make clear to us that we don't have that capacity, and that is why we are asking God to birth this in us. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can't just do it. Uh, Lord, you know, give what you command. Uh, give that wholeness, that wellness. Uh, and then, uh, interestingly enough, I, I, I want to ask you about this. I was reading in Fleming Rutledge's Advent book, I don't think she is saying we need to bring purgatory back, but she does say at one point, like, you know, in the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church was talking about purgatory in a way that was unbiblical, but she talks about, like, maybe we should bring back the notion of purgation or purgatory uh, in a non-biblical sense, because um, so much of preaching is like, God loves you just the way you are. On the one hand, it's like moralistic, like, do this, do that. On the other hand, like, no, you're perfect. God loves you just the way you are. And where she, what she is saying is like, no, God doesn't want to like leave you where you're at, like in the vomit or in the mire. God wants to make you whole and well. And so along with this notion of judgment, which the second Sunday of Advent is all about, is the good news of judgment being that you will be made well through this purgation, through, you know, the good news of the wrath of God is that we don't have to f be afraid about being condemned by God. Uh, the wrath of God, as she puts it, is the refiner's fire. It's the good news that you are going to be made like Christ. As I said earlier, like last week, that you are not going to hurt the people you love the most anymore. And you are not going to gossip or run to alcohol or whatever it is to be well. Um, and I, I really do find that to be good news. <laughs> I don't know if that means we should bring purgatory back, but <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I mean, not like, like metaphysically, yeah. like is it, as, a, as an actual realm. I mean, I, I, look, people very much smarter than me believe that to be true. So I, I'm, I'm kind of like agnostic i guess or ambivalent like oh not ambivalent just like apathetic like yeah maybe purgatory is real i don't really care i don't know <laughs> <laughs> like i mean i probably should care i'm just not that i was not that interested in questions that are so removed from my day-by-day -day experience yeah, yeah. Like, more than anything yeah but I, um yeah. no good no yeah but i mean I, I i i do like that question and i i wonder if you could like you know, this might make for good listening. It might not, but like help me kind of think through something that I wanted to talk about in relationship to the scholar. And in response to what you said is this, I have this like deep seated gut feeling that I've never been able to like articulate succinctly, but is that one of the real, um, one of the real like virtues of the, of a more like grace centric perspective on the Christian life uh, and by that, I mean a life that emphasizes God's agency, God's determination to make you well, much more than your own. Um, that emphasizes the like, how unearned and undeserved all the good things that come into our lives are in, in Christ. 
as opposed to more of like, well, you do your part, God does God's part, or mm. you kind of meet in the middle. More like disjunctive is like a technical term. Is that I think what it does is it it evacuates like a lot of kind of theological anxiety that comes from like that, that we associate with morality. Like, okay, that's a very terrible way to put it. <laughs> that's why I've never been able to articulate this. But I, I have this sense that, okay, what I'm really trying to say is, I think God wants us to make good decisions in our lives and to be moral because it's good for us more than because it's how we fulfill some divine standard for living. Like the more that we make morality non-theological, the more liberating and helpful it is. Um, that's kind of my idea. Is like so when you because when every day is so freighted with theological significance, like did I be? Am I growing more conformed to the image of Christ? Am I being sanctified? Am I doing my quiet time? Am I being kind to my spouse? Am I being forgiving to my children? Am I living the good and beautiful life that God has called me as a way to like win non-believers to the kingdom? It's like when every when everyday living is so freighted with theological significance, it produces in us a lot of anxiety and a lot of ambivalence, a lot of resentment, as opposed to something that's more like look. Everything that I could ever do for God, Christ has already done. God doesn't need me to be or do anything that I like that I, you know, God doesn't need that. But hey, I want for my own sake to be a good, to be a good person. I want for my own sake to have a sobriety of mind. And so I'm just going to do it, not because I think God wants me to, but because I want to. That sounds very humanistic, I realize on the surface. But I actually think there's something gospel in just God gives us the freedom to do the right thing just because it's good for us, not because yeah. God needs it or God wants it. Yeah. There's so much language about ushering in the kingdom of God or building the kingdom of God. And that that's just, it's the same thing, like what you're saying. There's, there's so much pressure on that. But I think what's helpful is in that same passage of Isaiah where the prophet says, prepare the way of the Lord. In the next sentence, the next breath, the prophet says, God is going to do it. God will bring this about. So there's, again, the agency is on God. The pressure is not on us. So like you're saying, like, we live, we repent, we cast away the works of darkness because, like, we want to be healthy. We want to be whole. Um, not because there's like actual value in it. Like it doesn't really contribute all that much to the life of God in the world. It's just good for us. So we should do it. Uh, I mean, I think I think it's that's good what I'm for trying your neighbor. To, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. all a hundred percent. Yeah. It's been, it's good for your neighbor in like a very basic human to human sense. Not because like, it's not the, like, I think it's just lowering the stakes is mm -hmm. what I'm really trying to say. A grace kind of centric perspective lowers the stakes of moral action and it makes it more, much more realistic and humanizing to just want to do the good thing as opposed to making it part of the ladder by which we ascend to the heights yeah. of human divine synergy. Yeah. It's yeah, a freedom. You know. It's a, it's a invitation exactly. to freedom as opposed exactly. to this burden. Yeah. I, I, I found a really cool example of, of, uh, an example of this and specifically an example of forsaking. That's the language of the, of the, of the prayer forsake our sins. Um, there was a this really great New Yorker profile of an individual. I think his name is Sam Riviera, who was a, um, kind of like the, the, uh, 
what you in college call an RA. He was a um, he was a, a director, uh, on, like on the ground director of a uh, of a house. I think it's in New York City, like on the Upper West Side. Um, I think it's called Fortune. It helps um, folks who have been incarcerated in the prison system. Um, it's it's not a halfway house, but it helps them kind of readjust to life back, like in society, quote unquote. And um, he was sharing about an instance uh, in which a gentleman that was living at that house um, had like, he was like a stick up artist. And so he brought people and he had spent more time in prison as an adult than he had spent like out in the world. So he'd been in prison for a decent amount of time. He gets out of prison. He's living in this homeless shelter and someone steals from him. Um, so the guy who had been stealing from others is it gets something stolen from him. And what he wanted to do more than anything is to like fight back is to take something back. Right. Cause that's how his whole sense of self worked. Uh, he says in the article, it's hard having something taken from you. My lifestyle, I'm not proud of it, but I was a stick up kid my whole life. I'm not used to having anyone take anything from me. There's nothing you could do. And uh, what the gentleman who is the focus of the article commends him for is that he did not do anything in return. He forsook the vengeful, angry response. And the guy relating this experience said how hard it is for us to realize that sometimes doing nothing is really, really, really significant. Sometimes forsaking something is, is, is the win and it's much better than uh, we might think. Here's what he says. Here's the deal, Riviera said. There's something you could do and you chose not to do. Don't dismiss that, man. You should be like, this should be a celebration for real. I did that and I didn't do what I would normally do. We all know what we could do. Many of us have done it, but take the power. I chose not to do that this time. And sometimes doing nothing is the best decision we can make. It's an action. You chose to handle it rightly. Doing nothing is doing something. Ignoring someone is reacting to them. Anyway, I just thought that was a cool resonance of like forsaking, stopping, ceasing. And maybe uh, in the season of Advent, God is inviting some of us to like forsake something. Not because yeah. it has a lot of, you know, theological value, but because it's not good for us and like doing, doing nothing, stopping something can be a really significant thing. Yeah. So, I mean, the pressure's off folks, God's going to purge you, <laughs> which just means God's going to make you well. So why don't you uh, close this out with a prayer? Merciful God who sent your messengers, the prophets to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. How about that episode of Our Triune Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your new favorite podcast.